Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Hey, how many of you are excited about Royal Family Kids Camp Night Remember coming up? Yeah? Yeah? I mean, what an opportunity we have as a church. You know, there's over 40 churches in the Anchorage Bowl that are involved in that. Uh, 120 plus volunteers. uh, And the goal is to get about 60 or more kids that are currently in the foster care system Uh, to summer camp. And that camp is a camp where they're going to experience uh, the love of Christ and they're going to hear uh, the good news of uh, the gospel and Christ's love for them. And it is something that uh, the area churches do in connection uh, with um, Children Protective Services. And so it is a real example of uh, the church Uh, and um, the government working together for the betterment of these kids. Uh, As you know, a lot of these kids have parents that are incarcerated. Uh, They're being raised by single parents, sometimes with a grandparent or a caretaker. Um, They uh, have been exposed to all kinds of uh, really difficult situations growing up. And yet... um, we have the opportunity uh, to be used of God to speak into their lives, uh, to make a difference. And, you know, we were praying for Quincy and for Thatcher. Um, when you invest in the life of a child, okay, uh, you are investing in generations to come. Do you know that? Okay? Generations to come. Uh, making a difference in whole family systems. And what an opportunity that is. And what an opportunity to do that in Jesus' name. So uh, all these kids come. They're volunteers. No one forces to come to camp. Right? Uh, everybody's up front about what's going to happen when they're there. Uh, and the good news is this, that over the years, uh, we hear story after story after story of young people whose lives were impacted, touched. A difference was made uh, because of the camp. But that's because of you. And that's because of your willingness to get involved at some level, whether it's coming to a night to remember next Friday night and supporting that, whether it's uh, hosting a table, uh, whether it's being involved as a volunteer and helping to prepare for camp or being a volunteer at camp, whether it's being a prayer partner, however you choose to be involved, there's an opportunity for you. And here's what I hope, okay? Every Sunday morning, we, we say our mission statement, don't we? Our mission is to bring Christ's hope, his healing, and his wholeness to our community uh, and to our world, to people who call Community Covenant their church home, right? To our neighbors, to our classmates, to our co-workers, to our friends, to our family members, Right? Uh, to people in our network, we want to be active agents of his hope, healing, and wholeness. 
we want to be agents of his hope, healing, and wholeness in the Anchorage Bowl and in western Alaska uh, and beyond. But I hope as we say that every Sunday morning that that, that doesn't become rote, that it doesn't become something we say, and we become so familiar with it that it loses its meaning. Okay? To know that God's intention, His design, is that we would be His ambassadors in the world to proclaim to all people in all places His rule and reign through His Son, Jesus Christ. To proclaim the kingdom and to demonstrate the kingdom in tangible ways. That everyone might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? And that true life is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope that never gets tired. I hope we never get tired of that. I hope that that we never forget what a privilege that is. Um, I hope we never forget what life before Christ was like. Now that we're his followers, that we always remember where we've come from, how wonderful and marvelous the grace of God is in our life. And we of all people should be the most grateful and the most willing to give of ourselves for the sake of others that they might know Christ. Such an important thing. Um, a few of you have had the opportunity to go shopping with me. <laughs> but those of you who have know uh, that it's quite an adventure. Okay? Uh, first of all, I have to confess, I love to shop. Okay? I mean, in Alaska, some people go hunting for moose and, and for caribou, fishing for salmon and halibut. Uh, but I love hunting for the, I love hunting for the deal. Okay? I mean, I, I love it. In fact, I just, I wore these today. Uh, these pants retail for, uh, $98.97. what they retail for. Okay? Banana Republic. Okay? Guess what I got them for? $5.67. I mean, there's nothing like it. Right? I mean, it's just, oh, yes. It's like I want to spike the football like I scored the winning touchdown, you know? It's just a great deal. So anyway, I, I, love, I love the deal, right? I love hunting for the deal. Oh, we found one recently for Lori. Unbelievable. I won't even get into that. I'll let her tell you. Um, but, you know, when you love hunting for the deal, it doesn't matter whether it's for you or someone else. I mean, you, you find it, right? Uh, you bag it. It's great. All right? Hunt for the deal. But one of the things that happens uh, frequently when I go shopping, when I'm out in retail places or even in the grocery store, and this is something that uh, it just happens um, I have an eye, I have a knack um, for spotting uh, people who are shoplifting. I do. Uh, I had to work somewhere in theft prevention. Um, I did once a long time ago. But 
I, I look and there are people, they just have certain movements or motions. There's a way about them. If you know what to look for, it's, there it is. In fact, I remember not too long ago, we were in a shoe store and I spotted a person and, and, uh, they were getting ready to, to take the shoes they have on, put them in the box and put the new shoes on and walk out. And they, they caught me looking at them. And they said, what are you looking at? And I said, well, I'm looking at you about to walk out of the store with the shoes that you're not going to pay for. Kind of looked at me. But you have to decide what you're going to do. Right? Happens over and over and over again. Let me tell you why. When I was in college at the university I attended, I worked at the student store. And my job was loss prevention. And I would spend my shift looking for people who were taking things from the store. And after a while, you get to know what people do, the furtive movements, you know, how they do things. And, and that gets kind of encoded in your brain. And so now when I go shopping, I just see it. I can't help it. It's there. It's right in front of me. I can't forget what it looks like. And it happens over and over. Ask Lori. She'll tell you. You know, I have to look the other way sometimes not to see it because it's so present sometimes. Now, what does that have to do with our passage today? In our passage today, um, Jesus um, is looking. He's looking around himself. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns, villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Okay? Now, if you want to kind of an overview, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? The Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is really a proclamation of the kingdom. Kingdom values, kingdom ethics, kingdom life, right? It's a proclamation of the kingdom. But then you move from 5, 6, and 7 where you see a proclamation of the kingdom into chapters 8 and 9. And in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, you see a demonstration of the kingdom. So you see this throughout the scripture in Jesus' ministry. You see the ministry of the disciples or the apostles. uh, That the proclamation of the kingdom and the demonstration in a tangible way of the kingdom and kingdom power, what the kingdom looks like, they go hand in hand. You see them coupled together. Proclamation, demonstration, right? And that the demonstration... Uh, is intended to speak to the veracity of the truth of what was proclaimed. Okay? So you see that in Jesus' ministry. You see it in the ministry of the disciples. And we see it here. So in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, you see the proclamation of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount. Then in verses, or excuse me, chapters 8 and 9, you see the demonstration in very tangible ways. And what you see demonstrated is kingdom authority and kingdom power. Kingdom authority and power over nature, over disease, over demons, yes, even over death itself. 
chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew. Demonstration of authority and the power of the kingdom. Right? And we get here to the end of chapter 9. And it recaps what had just happened. He went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Verse 36. When Jesus, or when He saw the crowds, okay, when He saw the crowds, He saw the crowds. In order to see the crowds, what did he have to do? He had to to stop and take time to do what? To look. To pay attention. And what was it that he saw? It's not enough to see, but what was it that he saw? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He felt something. So, So Jesus... Looked, he saw, and then he had compassion. He felt. He felt something. He had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that, that imagery goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I'll show you in a moment. It goes back to Ezekiel chapter 34. We'll talk about that. But the point here is that Jesus stopped and he looked. That what he saw was not so familiar to him that it ceased to make an impact on him. He allowed himself to feel as a result of what it was that he saw. He stopped, he looked, he saw, and he had compassion. He felt something. He was moved. And and, and that word there, compassion, literally means um, uh, it's to be moved to the core of your innermost parts and being. So, I mean, he felt something in his gut. Very strongly. It, It wasn't something that he just saw in passing and paid no attention to. And he saw the crowds and he looked at them because they were, what? Like sheep without a shepherd. Without sheep, without a shepherd. Now it kind of gets back to my story when I go shopping. Um, There's a part of me, because of my experience earlier in life, that I key into certain things. I can't help but see it. Even when I try to ignore it, I see it. Even when I look the other way, I have to look the other way not to see it. Because I've developed an eye for it. And frankly, I see things I don't want to see. Because I'm afraid one of these days I'm going to get into trouble I don't want to get into because I saw something, right? And yet I can't help but see it. And so here's my choice. When I go shopping, do I just continue to look the other way? Do I pretend not to see what's happening? Or do I stop and do I pay attention to what I see? Right? 
and, and, and frankly, when it comes to compassion, that's the challenge for you and for me. More often than not, I want to look the other way. I don't want to see what I know is going on all around me. I, I want to rather be distracted. I'd rather focus on something else than, than stop and acknowledge and say, yes, I know what's happening here. I've seen this before. Maybe I've seen it before in myself. Maybe it's my own brokenness, my own need for healing, my own hurt, my own pain, my own life experience that, that I've worked hard to overcome or, or an area of my life that has been a challenge that maybe I have mastery over now that I didn't previously. And, and I don't want to be reminded of it, so I don't want to see it in other people. So I look the other way. Does it make sense? You see that? How that can happen? And so when it comes to looking at people, when it comes to compassion, to recognizing the state that people are in, or to looking at how people are living their lives, or choices they're making, or, or things that are impacting or affecting them, sometimes it's just easier to pretend I don't know it's happening, even though I do, and to look the other way. Like when I go shopping, it's just easier to look the other way. And yet what we see Jesus modeling for us is an attitude of not looking the other way, but an attitude of zeroing in on what's going on around him. Even the difficult things that, that maybe aren't pleasant to look at. He allows himself to look and to see. But then he allows himself to feel. He allows it to impact him. There are so many things that are going on around us that, that we, we become numb to them, don't we? That even when we see them, we, we cease to feel them. We cease to feel them. Because there's just so much of it. And, and it's overwhelming. And, and at some point, there is a, an emotional and a spiritual disconnect that can happen in our lives. And when that happens, we are no longer responsive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be used by God in any given situation that we see that He might be calling us into to make a difference. Take the shooting at the mosque in New Zealand. I mean, are we numb to, to mass shootings? I mean, it's, oh, it's just another shooting, right? It's like the one before that and the one before that and the one before that. And we give a commentary on how broken people are and how bad things are getting. But the question is, where are we in the midst of that? Are we going to allow ourselves to feel that, to enter into that, into that brokenness, into the pain of the people, into the loss, into the hurt, into the heartache? Or are we going to shield ourselves? Are we going to look the other way? Are we going to say, yeah, I, it's, things are bad, but 
I've got enough things going on in my life. You, you see what I'm saying? And if we're going to live like Jesus, we're called to live a life of compassion. If we're going to live a life of compassion, we have to see with Jesus' eyes. And we have to feel with Jesus' heart. And God help us if we ever get to a place where Night Tree members just about helping those foster kids. There's so many of them. There's such a problem here in Alaska. Right? That we really don't see them. And we really don't feel for them. God help us. Because Jesus models something else for us. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, who was supposed to be caring for the people? The, the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel. They were the ones that, that God had tasked for caring for the people, for caring for the well-being. And in Jesus' time, these were people who had been marginalized, they were oppressed, they were, they were under the, the domination and oppression of Rome. Many were excluded because of, of religious elitism that kept them from fully participating because they weren't deemed righteous or they weren't fulfilling the law as had been interpreted by the leaders. And so these were broken, hopeless people. And if you will, the church, the religious institution, was who God had tasked to give them hope, to care for them, to acknowledge them, to, to notice them, to feel for them, and then to act on their behalf. And yet that wasn't happening. And you go way back into Ezekiel 34... In Ezekiel 34, the Lord speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. And he speaks how the, the shepherds of Israel are neglecting their responsibilities. In fact, the shepherds of Israel are actually fleecing the flock. They're, they're taking advantage of the people for their own gain and benefit. And in Ezekiel 34, 11 and 16, it says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep, and I will look after them. I will search for the lost and bring them back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I'll destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Then you look at Ezekiel thirty-four, thirty-one. You are my sheep. The sheep of my pasture, I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. Now, what is the literal fulfillment of this passage? Where do we see it fulfilled? In the person, in the message, in the mission of who? Of Jesus Christ. The Good Shepherd. Right? Look at John 10. 14 and then 28 through 20 or 27 through 28 I am the good shepherd I know my sheep and my sheep know me 
My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Right? And of course, then we see Psalm 23 about the shepherd that allows the sheep to come and he protects them, he cares for them, he nurtures them. They lie down beside still waters. And God fulfills the promise of shepherding his people in the one who is the, what? The good shepherd of John chapter 10. Jesus himself. And so Jesus takes the responsibility. And Jesus cares for the people. Jesus sees the condition that they're in. Jesus allows himself to feel compassion. And then Jesus acts on their behalf. And that really is what was happening in 8 and 9. Both those chapters where he's demonstrating kingdom authority and kingdom power over disease, disease, death, nature, demons, all of it. That he's demonstrating God's care for his people. And yet we see this juxtaposed to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around those to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What's up with this guy, Jesus? Doesn't he know who it is that he's mixing up with? Who he's having table fellowship with? What's wrong with him? Doesn't he know that 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 kind of fraternization leaves him unclean? Unfit for God's service? Matthew 9, verses 10 through 12. I think this is interesting. Matthew is writing about himself. He's not ashamed of who he was. In fact, he he draws attention to it, that God might get glory to speak of the grace of God in his life. While, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You know what? I I never want to have it so together. But I forget how broken my life was before Christ. I never want to be so self-righteous that I no longer have to declare my dependence on Christ and His sufficiency in my life. I always want to be in a place where I never forget who I am and where I've come from and, and, and how I'm in desperate need for a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. Desperate need for His grace, for His hope, for His healing, for His wholeness. I never want to forget that. And I never want my faith or my religion to be an excuse to forget that. 
I love Luke 18, 9 through 13. Jesus is teaching to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. You know, when we start looking down on other people, it's often because we're confident in our own righteousness. Do you know that? We see ourselves as better or as exalted or above other people. We forget who we are and where we've come from. And Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that person stealing that pair of shoes. (laughs) I thank you I'm not like that broken person, that person that really needs God's healing, hope and wholeness. I thank you I'm not like them. Right? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven But he beat his breast as a sign of humility. And he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I have to tell you something. As long as our posture is one of God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Then our eyes are open to see. Our hearts are ready to feel. And our spirits ready to act and respond. Because we count ourselves among those who need Christ's hope and his healing and his wholeness. Then the righteous will answer him, the Lord said. Excuse me. Matthew 25. When did we see you hungry, feed you or thirsty, or give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes, or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison, or go to visit you? Of course, that's in the Olivet Discourse at the end of Matthew And Jesus here is talking about the judgment that is coming. He's talking about separating the sheep from the goats. He talks about that in Ezekiel 34, by the way. That the shepherd who will come to care for his people will separate the sheep. And we see Jesus talking about this in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 25. And he says, I was sick, I was naked, I was hungry, I was all these things. When people say, well, when did we see you that way, Lord? When did we see you that way? And he says this. He says, Truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So then it comes full circle. Check this out. Jesus looks upon the crowds and, and he looks upon them and he has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And we go to Ezekiel 34 and we see the God through the prophet condemning the shepherds of Israel because the help is supposed to come through the religious institution, but it's not. Okay? 
And God says, listen, I'm going to take care of my sheep. I'm going to shepherd my sheep. And we see Jesus in John chapter 10, uh, the, the, the good shepherd, the one who cares for the sheep, in fulfillment of what was promised. <clears throat> but then we come full circle and in here... In Matthew 25, we see the sheep caring for the shepherd. The sheep then begin to do what? They begin to live like Jesus. And it's demonstrated through their care of the least of these. So that Jesus says, whenever you care for one of these, the least of these, my brothers and sisters... You care for me. And so we see that if we're going to live like Jesus, we have to live a life of compassion. And ultimately, that's demonstrated in our care for the shepherd himself as we care for the least of these. To live like Jesus is to live a life of compassion. That's what he calls us to. He doesn't call us to look the other way. And so as the worship team comes up this morning, we reflect on the words of Jesus in verse 38, where he says that the fields are ripe for the harvest. Pray, right? Pray for those that God would raise up and to go into those fields for the harvest. Well, you know what happens in in chapter 10? The very ones that, that Jesus appointed to pray, he appoints to go. And so when you pray according to Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, you know who you're praying for? You're praying for yourself. Because Jesus' intention is that you and I are the ones who are to go. You and I are the ones who are to see with His eyes, to feel with His heart, to move in the power and the authority of His Spirit, to live a life of compassion, to bring His hope and His healing and His wholeness to our community and to our world. My prayer for you and me today is that we would never forget and we would never ever look the other way but that we'd always be available to minister to the least of these. And in doing so, we come full circle. We minister to the shepherd himself. May that be true of us. Amen.